Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey there, Star Wars Minotaurs. This is Mark Koreski of the Origami Yoda series of audiobooks. Um, you're coming up to mini- minute 79 in The Phantom Menace, uh, where we get a short scene between, uh, I think the guy's name is Sid Bibble, and uh, the evil Newt Gingrich. Uh, Newt says, your queen is lost, your people are starving. Now, if you look at the same minute from the holiday special, you have the commercial for the Whirlpool Corporation, uh, which we all know begins, this country may be in danger and could be losing something we can't afford to lose, which clearly echoes the dialogue about losing the queen. And then it goes on to say that we're threatened by the slipshod and the second rate. And I think we can all agree there's nothing more slipshod or second rate than the Nemoidian invasion of Naboo. Anyway, uh, if there was ever any doubt about the validity of ring theory, uh, this should put all those arguments to bed. Love you. Welcome back to the Star Wars Minute. It's your daily podcast in which we analyze, scrutinize, and celebrate the Phantom Menace one minute at a time. I'm Alex Robinson from ComicBookAlex.com. And I'm Pete the Retailer from PeteTheRetailer.com. And I'm Ryan Halp from RyanHalp.com. And from this show, whenever something scientific comes up and Pete and Alex say, hey, we should ask Ryan about that. (laughs) Yes, thank you for coming back. You are our go-to resource. We should have been keeping a list of all the questions we had. Right. I I wrote down two of them. I don't know if I'll have time to get to them this this episode, but uh, I have some prep done if needed oh well that's fantastic so yeah let's tackle today's minute and then we'll uh, we'll dig into the uh, these archive questions uh today we are discussing minute 79 of the phantom menace on tatooine it starts we're about to leave tatooine it starts with uh anakin skywalker asking obi-wan kenobi if he's a jedi too and it ends a minute later with co bibble begging queen amidala to contact him via hollow message now, how? What makes Anakin think that Obi Wan is a Jedi? Uh, is, is Qui Gon is just like, oh, Obi Wan Kenobi, this is Anakin Skywalker, and Anakin is like, wow, you're a Jedi too, and it's like nobody said that. That's true. Is it because he's in a bathrobe? The only people who walk can around recognize the laser sword. Where Anakin goes to the Turkish baths, and he's like, "Wow, you're a Jedi too, and you, and you." Yeah, he. To be fair, he asked R two D two and, um, the, and <laughs> everyone on the ship. Ricolay, there's a lamp that he was like, "Are you a Jedi?" Yeah. <laughs> So, um, it's weird. They have that handshake and Obi-Wan just kind of like lamely sits there. Like he doesn't have a quip or any, is he, is he embarrassed for like, is (laughs) Is this a big moment? I mean, this is two of the most important figures in the history of this star Wars movies that we're going to see meeting. I just can't believe he resists. I can't believe Lucas resisted giving Obi-Wan like a line. 
Right. He normally well, loves quips. And I, I noticed that R2 is just going crazy in the background. Yeah, he's like, got R- a lot of lines. Yeah. R2, R2 somehow seems to know that this is a big deal. Right. Or he, you know, he could be freaking out knowing, you know, maybe he sees the future. <laughs> You think his, he's using his force powers to see the future, yeah. and he sees uh, Obi-Wan. Right. When I was writing notes for this, I thought that, that this whole, you know, because we don't see R2-D2's origin, really. Mm-hmm. So what? Here's a, here's a good way to ruin Star Wars. <laughs> what if at the end of this whole new cycle of movies, somebody goes back in time and becomes R2-D2? Or R2-D2 gets sent back in time. The whole thing becomes like a closed loop almost. So it becomes like uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android in Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. Uh, but th- so throughout this whole thing, R2-D2 knows all the stuff that's about to happen pretty much. Yeah, I could see that. Or if they somehow beam a transmission back in time to... So even if he doesn't go back in time... No, no, can... it's got to be him. Oh, all right. That would answer one of my Force Awakens questions about how what R2 does. Hmm. R2 does what, in general? Well, you know, I assume, are we in a Force Awakens spoiler-free zone? Is it a free-for-all at this point? Can we assume anybody listening to this podcast has seen Force yes. Awakens at this point? Yes. I'm sure. going to say I yes. Just, It'll, yes. <laughs> Speak so away. I, just, I don't understand how R2 knew when to wake up. Yeah, that is a question that will have to be answered when we do Force Awakens Minute in 2018. Right. Okay. Well, we could, if, if this time travel theory is correct, then he just set a timer... And he knew when the battle would be over and then to wake up and do his thing. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. He already knew everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So not only does Obi-Wan have his, have nothing to say to, oh, to uh, Anakin, but then also Qui-Gon does, he's like, pleased to meet you. And Qui-Gon does this kind of like, oh, kids say the darndest things. Like, <laughs> right. Like, but all, the Hello. way that line, that Jake Lloyd <laughs> delivers that line, the pleased to meet you, it's very much like, like, this is a kid who thinks that in order to be a successful Jedi, he's got to ingratiate himself to and every Jedi he meets along the way. And so it's this very, like, I don't, to me, it's over the top. It's what you would do on your first day at a job when you're being a little too over eager, which I am mm. guilty of. So I speak <laughs> from experience. And I don't know, it, it doesn't come across as false, but it just comes across as so brown nosing. Like, pleased to meet you. Nice to make your acquaintance. I'm going to be uh, around here for a long time. So I really want to make sure that you and I are on good terms, you know? <laughs> well, maybe in a way it's good writing because Anakin is a slave and thus probably has to ingratiate himself with people very quickly lest he get, you know, beaten or forced to the spice mines of Kessel or something like that. So mm-hmm. he probably wants but to is be... But it, is it effective? Like, do you believe that he actually is, like really that excited i can't i have a hard time with the way the line is read uh, knowing whether it's true pleasure at the meeting of obi-wan or if anakin is just this is the routine he does for everybody is this jake lloyd or is it anakin who's right who's being this way right i think it's an awkward anakin moment so you think jake lloyd is play? he thought of it he's like i'm gonna play this kind of ingratiating and uh <laughs> he tried a different, a lot of different uh, tactics, and then this is the, I mean, one, this is the one he settled on when he uh, <laughs> maybe, or he was just yeah. method, and so then what he right. does is what Anakin would do. Maybe that maybe that was the first time that you and McGregor and Jake Lloyd met. If it was a different Ooh. director, I would say possibly. You know, they do like <laughs> like if it was like Richard Donner or something. You know, that might have <laughs> right. You know, just but no, I, I think you know it's it's not wasn't plotted out like that, and I don't think you know. George Lucas was worried more about the, you know, telling the details of the story that he wanted to tell. So right. I, don't, I don't think he would have worried too much about how people felt. 
Um, Qui-Gon's reaction is strange considering he very nearly just died. Yeah, they've totally completely forgotten about the fact that he just got attacked by an evil Jedi. But maybe this is the kind of thing that happens all the time to him, you know? Well, that's that's one of the big questions I have about this movie is that both Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are very skilled with their lightsabers, especially against things like droids, which makes sense to me. But I'm surprised when another lightsaber user shows up that they're also good at dueling combat because presumably the Sith have been extinct for a while. So how have they been training for lightsaber duels? Well, don't forget, um, uh, Sidious also is talented with a lightsaber. Because right, he's, but he's, that's my question. I just don't know how. Like, who are they training against each other in hopes that Jedi? Like, is it Sidious training Maul, and then hoping that that's the style that will work against Qui Gon and Obi Wan later? Like, because they're two separate schools of lightsaber fighting. I don't know. It's one of my open questions: is how did they know to train for lightsaber duels when they assumed the other side wasn't ready for them? Well, they, the Sith. I'm assuming Palpatine Sidious would be. You know, he can see the, the the Jedi aren't hiding from him. Right. So he can just see what they're up to. And he's even specifically these two Jedi who are going to be involved in this. He knows who they are and what they're doing. Well, um, but there's no way he could have known that Darth Maul would be fighting Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Well, he sends... Basically, he, he sends Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan there. No, Chancellor oh, Valorum sends them there. But then once... He once doesn't want them there because remember, he's like, what are the Jedi doing there? And he's, well, he's annoyed that they're there. Or I don't think he knew Jedi were going to be. He would not want the Jedi to be involved. But then once they are, he does know who they are, and he's familiar with those. Yes, that's true. Particular yeah, Jedi, question, I believe. So my question can, is more on the side of the Jedi. How do Jedi know how to lightsaber duel when they haven't had to do it for a, a thousand years or however long the Sith right. have been supposedly extinct? Well, it's possible they're not very good at it. They're just kind of like lazy sheriffs who like, you know, mm-hmm. oh, all I have to do is flash my lightsaber, and that usually settles any trouble down pretty quickly. So, right. you know, to actually have to get into hand-to-hand combat. Probably explains why they do so poorly, I guess. <laughs> and then why why Qui-Gon is kind of like sweating and panting in this scene. Right. <laughs> He's always like girdle is uh, straining <laughs> to hold his... Uh... And he, hasn't, he hasn't bothered to stand up yet. He's just kind of lying there. <laughs> He's like, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> High on the adrenaline from the fight. <laughs> he has uh, Anakin walk on his back for a while to kind of uh, right. straighten out his uh, vertebrae. See, now my science brain is kicking in. I'm wondering how midichlorians respond to adrenaline. Hmm. Hmm, Midichlorians know that you need extra force juice when you're stressed. Does the force become more powerful in you if you are under duress and, you know, like you hulk out? (laughs) I'm going to make an analogy to human physiology. So obviously the midichlorians are supposed to be mitochondria. Like that's, that's the comparison being made. Have you guys talked about this yet? No, no. not, not scientifically. We of course waiting for you, Ryan. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I have, I mean, I'm, I'm caught up on the episodes that have been released thus far, but I know there's some in the can. Um, yeah. So mitochondria, they're, they're an organelle, which is a component of a human cell or actually all animal cells have uh, mitochondria in them. And um, they're, they're, they're the powerhouse, right? They're what generate, they're what do um, cellular respiration. So they're the thing that's taking, you know, sugars and converting them into adenosine triphosphate ADP, which is the energy unit that your cellular cells use to, to power all the functions of your body. Like putting hot air in a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> sort of, I guess. <laughs> um, 
the coolest thing about the coolest thing about mitochondria, and as I think it relates to the Star Wars world, is that um, mitochondria have their own DNA separate from your DNA. So your your personal DNA is stored in the nuclei of all of your cells, mm-hmm. and mitochondria have their own DNA that's separate from uh, your nuclear DNA. Hmm. So, so I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the concept of like mitochondrial DNA and there being like a Eve out of Africa Eve of like, human origins, right? Like we everyone can trace it back to this one particular human. Yeah, so not that they were tr- not that they were the only human, but that they were the only human who had this particular mitochondria and that survived to now where everyone has it. Is that more yeah, or less? Yeah. Well, it? so it's it, and, but that's coming from the mitochondrial DNA. It's not coming from nuclear DNA. Right. Right. And it, that's transmitted from the mother, so the matrilineal line. So you have, <clears throat> excuse me, so you have roughly the, the same, you know, with the slight imperfections and mutations that come about with copying, mitochondrial DNA as your mother, and that can be traced back a very long time. Keep long. my mother out of this. <laughs> <laughs> long time. Well, you also have, you have the, same, the same Y chromosome as your father. So men have this cool ability to trace both lines back, depending on which chromosome you look at. Um, and, and then the other cool thing about mitochondria is that we think that the way that this association came about, so the fact that they have their own DNA means that at one point they were separate from our cells. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that in the world before multicellular organisms existed, which lasted for like a billion years, um, you know, lo- far longer than humans or dinosaurs or anything have been on the planet, it was just this kind of soup of single-celled organisms. And... The idea is that one large cell, um, you know, that would eventually become a multicellular thing, ate a smaller cell. And before it had the chance to digest that smaller cell, that smaller cell started just continuing its life cycle inside this other cell, which produced energy that the larger cell could use. And so the larger cell was like, oh, well, I'm not going to digest you if you're giving me energy. And thus this weird cellular symbiosis began which has lasted all the way up till today and is the reason we're able to breathe oxygen and eat food and get energy from that and levitate objects and Mm -hmm. predict the future and run real fast and run real fast welding instructor alex declare knows firsthand how vr training platforms like forge fx can help meet the demand for skilled workers anywhere you go look there's going to be a shortage of welders VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So given all that, how do you feel about midichlorians? Oh, they're terrible. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. I don't, I'm not a fan at all. I now, think. are you talking scientifically or story-wise? Story-wise. Story-wise. Okay. Okay. I mean, scientific, well, and scientifically, because the, I think we talked about this when I was on the show previously, but, you know, if you introduce a scientific explanation for the force, 
then the spirituality of it should be something that you can quantify. And that's not what spirituality is supposed to be about, you know? Like, uh, yeah, um, the famous paleontologist uh, Stephen Jay Gould used to talk about um, non-overlapping magisteria. Mm-hmm. So there are, and, and, you know, from a scientific philosophy standpoint, it's not the most sound argument, but it's poetic and I like it, is that, you know, there are these realms of human knowing and understanding that can be simultaneously true but completely separate and shouldn't really speak to one another. And his example that he was referring to was, you know, the idea of faith versus the idea of scientific inquiry and saying that, like, science shouldn't try to explain faith and faith shouldn't try to explain science. And as long as you keep those two magisteria separate, then they should be able to get along. And when you take something like the Force, which I think should be this kind of spiritual knowing about the the galaxy and the universe and make it a scientific thing, suddenly the people who are believing in the force on faith just don't have enough information to believe in it based on the evidence, and I don't like the crossing those streams. Right, fair mm. enough. Does that make sense? Did yeah. I- yeah. I mean, and well, I guess we don't know uh, how widespread this mi- this uh, midichlorian knowledge is, because you know, Han Solo clearly didn't believe in the force in Star Wars. Right, which would make him the equivalent of a creationist, which I know yeah. we've talked about before, yeah, and right. I, I don't want Hansel to be a creationist, so <laughs> I prefer I prefer the idea that um, you know there was a, there was a period in human history when the most prominent scientists in the world would have agreed that there was an ether, uh, some sort of un, not understood matter that existed outside of our atmosphere, because sound waves only travel through matter; they're mm-hmm. longitudinal waves that need a matter to propagate them. And so we knew that light had some sort of wave-like characteristics, and so it needed some thing to propagate through if the sunlight from the sun was going to reach Earth. And so the only way they could make sense of that was to propose this ether, and it was the best explanation that we had for how sunlight reached Earth at the time, not understanding that electromagnetic waves can travel through vacuums. And so once we improved our knowledge the idea of the ether went out the door even though most scientists at the time would have told you that ether was a totally plausible thing that we should have been taking seriously so, so sim- you know similarly it could re- when episode eight they could reveal that oh yeah back in the days people used to think the force came from midichlorians but now we know it's there's a tiny elf that lives inside everyone's <laughs> heart and it's the <laughs> thing that you know lets everyone your force elf yeah there's a Your magnet in everyone's right. heart right Yes, and legends well, once say of a green Jedi whose heart grew three sizes in one day. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, if, as we uh, as we learned on a recent eight day Greedo call, that uh, even George Lucas uh, proposed that theory himself. No, oh. he said maybe the Jedi are wrong uh, about midichlorians. I mean, we're go. barely sure that people in the Star Wars universe are literate, so yes, I'm right. skeptical when it comes to their understanding of the inner workings of cellular biology. As a person who, okay, so all that being said. I went to the first day of molecular biology in college uh, and sat there and was like, and, and walked out and never went back. Nope. Couldn't, <laughs> I could not handle. So all that stuff I just said about mitochondria and ADP, like that's all vague memories from my undergrad. And that's a, you, you know, I gave you, I didn't, I didn't pull any punches with you guys. I gave you pretty much all I remember. Wow. So we, now we have a doctorate in molecular biology. All right. <laughs> no, you have the first day of class of molecular biology, which undergrad Ryan walked out of. Cause I'm like, I'm pretty sure everything, I, I don't like the small stuff personally. Like I like, I want, you know, something cheetah sized or bigger. 
in right. my in my science. They're sloth sized. I like sloths. You must be this tall to ride. You know, the Ryan. I don't want to study ride. anything smaller than an Ewok. Okay. <laughs> my, my 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 motto since day one has been: if I can tackle it, I can study it. And when I say tackle, I don't mean like a mentally understand it. I mean like physically tackle it to okay. the ground and hold right. it there and do science to it. So <laughs> what if it was too big? Well, like you couldn't tackle an elephant. Well, I've never studied all. the biggest. Well, I guess I've done ground sloth research, and I couldn't tackle a ground sloth. So I. So. Yeah. If I could, I could tackle it or be stepped on by it, you're, you're good. <laughs> I mean, there are animals I've studied that I wouldn't try to tackle, like crocodiles right. and mountain lions. But right. you know, those are as long as one of you is getting hurt when you collide, <laughs> then study can happen. Yes. Which is typically not the case with like single organelles inside cells. Yeah, no, yeah. no. So uh, we finally leave Tatooine. Yeah, speaking of uh, organisms, uh, cheetah-sized or smaller, spider chair. So, yes, we, we now go back to Naboo, where New Gunray and CO Bibble are having a chat. A chair chat. And, and New Gunray is walking around. Uh, well, he's sitting while his chair does the walking for him. Right. So is that supposed to be a character moment? Or, like, is it supposed to say something about New Gunray that he's so lazy or regal that he won't walk with CO Bibble? Or was that, like, a, something they had to do because of the practical effects of the, the Nemoidian suit? Huh. So you're saying that, like, originally they, uh, they uh, I, th- I think of it as a character thing. And yeah. it's, it's a way of him demonstrating how, like, regal he is that, you know. Perfectly regal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um <laughs> i think it was just uh, even you know tail wagging the dog i think it was design somebody was like spider chair and they're like oh that's cool we should use that and then they made it you know and they they put it in there after the fact you kind of it didn't really come organically from the story or anything they weren't thinking about what it meant they were just kind of so do you think when they filmed it it was it was it was just another walk and talk and then they kind of did it in post-production He's definitely moving like like right. he's on something that's rocking, but they easily, I guess, could have done that. I guess post. I don't know. Well, even well, if it was designed earlier on, and they, you know, yeah. Well, because the Nemoidians are people in suits, right? Like that's a practical effect. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so within, I did, I canonically, they're people in suits. That's their that's the <laughs> traits the, the traits of their planet. Yes. So I just didn't know. You know, you guys talked a lot of, in Return of the Jedi minute about how the java suit like you couldn't really move it easily and that's why he's got the sliding platform and stuff and so i just didn't know if maybe the mechanics of whatever skull puppetry and the hands and all that stuff made it difficult to walk around in while still functioning as a suit so maybe they had to compromise what no, i mean we see him walking around he even walks downstairs uh, at some point okay which i noted i was impressed by so yeah Alone or in pairs. Yeah, I actually am a I am a big fan of the droid chair. I really? Think, I think. Well, I just think it's a it's a fun, wonky like way of making a otherwise visually dull scene kind of something weird about it. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I uh, I kind of like it. It's it's a you know I give Phantom Menace credit where credit is due. It's, sure. a, it's a nice wonky touch that uh, that you know it's the equivalent of like that uh, stuff we saw in Phantom Menace where it's just like little details. Not Phantom Menace in other movies that are just like little details that kind of speak to the character. I, you, the way you're looking at me, I'm guessing you did not. You no, I'm just you know I don't really feel strongly about it one way or the other. Right. But it well, I'm just trying mean. to find the positive where sure. I can. We we sure. slag a lot on this. Uh, it um. It is reminiscent of the fate of Chewbacca that Patton Oswald presents in his uh, Parks and Recreation Star Wars oh, the famous rant. Yeah, yeah, the filibuster. Right. So in in his filibuster, 
Chewbacca gets decapitated and then gets a spider body. And so this this presents that that technology is available. <laughs> I assume that you were going to say it had something to do with the fact that Peter Mayhew, unfortunately, can no longer walk very right. well so that they would have Chewbacca also on uh, some kind of uh, droid. Spider chair. Spider chair. But uh, uh, Although I do think the spider chair looks like I would get motion sickness on it. It's right. constantly like moving side to side. <laughs> like it's not the kind of chair you can just take a nap in. It's always like jostling you around as you're. Mm. Uh, I I would rather it be much more of a smooth uh, segue. What about of, treads? Yeah, it might be more like a centipede where it would have a lot of legs to keep you stable, and you mm. would not really feel the the motion. That seems very un. Uh, you're just going with it. You're just going with a different arthropod. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, although that would be a sad fate to be the droid chair, <laughs> or would it be good because it's a kind of a cushy, it's a cushy life? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Bibble argues that they are a democracy. Yes. That the argument to me falls on deaf ears. Like I don't know how you know. Sure, you're a democracy, but you've been invaded by a opposing force that's not democratic. So. Why does why does Newt yeah. Gunray care what the people have said? Well, unless they put it to like a uh, a plebiscite to the people, like, do you want to surrender to the Nemoians? Right. And the people have spoken and said no. So, well, that, yeah, that's uh, if uh, if I can refer to the script again. Uh, Bibble's original line, Bibble, um, was this invasion will gain you nothing. We're a democracy. The people have decided they will not live under your tyranny. So they apparently they they was put to a poll. Yeah, they voted not to live under tyranny. Vote no on Proposition Seven that allows <laughs> us. But if, being if Padme had been there, would she have just gotten to say one way or the other, or would they still have had a vote? I, they probably still would have had a vote, but she would have had a you know, she like, pulled executive like a privilege or something beforehand. Yeah, she would have been able to sway just, them. The for, politics of Naboo make it very unclear what the role of the elected monarchy is, I guess. Which yeah. I know you guys have discussed, but... Right. Although not Bill that Because a governor. Yeah. Right. So is he just the governor of Feed, or is he the governor of all of the Naboo? Do we remember? I don't remember. But... Um, I would assume Naboo. Assume Naboo. Assume Naboo. <laughs> you assume too much. <laughs> we have already uh, assumed your planet. Yeah, I love this. Uh, despite the chair, I, I do love uh, Newt in this. Uh, oh, the taking his him away dialogue is, is so fantastic. Yeah, oh, it's, it's so good. Yeah, uh, I love the take him away. Your queen is the... lost. Your people are starving, and you are going to die much sooner than your people. I am afraid. <laughs> talk him away like he's got that great and the gesture yeah he's got the hand gesture kind of well and like i i actually like that we get to see kind of a you know the focus of your eye in that moment is supposed to be on his hand because that's the only thing that's moving right yeah and i actually like that they took the time to make the you know the puppetry or the glove or whatever of his hand pretty different from a human hand like it's it's weird looking yeah uh, like the fingers are kind of pointed they're the wrong lengths for what we would expect from a human hand like i really like the the anatomy work they did to think about you know how these creatures would be different than just your typical human i wish they had him always on that bot and always doing those kind of gestures like very languid mm. like uh hedonism bot kind of uh, <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. uh, attitude behind him but uh i don't know that would that would invite comparisons to opium dens and then the racism just gets even worse oh yeah, that's, that's true, true. yeah um 
Well, uh, speaking of uh, cut scenes, I wanted to back up a minute too because okay. when they at the beginning of this uh, minute we had another cut line, not a cut scene, a cut line rather. Um, whereas uh, right after Obi Wan and Anakin are introduced, uh, then uh, Qui Gon says, uh, "Let's hope this hyperdrive works." And Watto didn't get the last laugh. Oh, and then it cuts away. Not really a necessary line, but an interesting concept. That after all that, Watto might have been like, aha, fooled you. <laughs> yeah, but then they would have just come, like, they couldn't leave, so they would have just come back to Tatooine and right. they've got laser swords, so. Right. Yeah, yeah, although you think they would have test, like, there should have been some test in the in the store that they could have. Uh... Well, I mean, also, Watto just told Qui-Gon, I, I'm the only one who has this, so don't try any of these other stores around here. Yeah. Right. And so, he's one of the uh... smaller shops, as Qui-Gon says. Ooh, what if Watto had put uh, some kind of explosive device on the hyperdrive? Mm. And then as soon as they tried to activate it, the whole ship just blew up. But then Watto would have lost a hyperdrive and a perfectly good Nubian ship. No, but I'm saying right. after he lost the bet and he gave them the hyperdrive. Yeah, but still, but he's nothing he, to gain from that. And I think he's well, not, you know. revenge. Yeah, I think, yeah. no, I don't think, I don't think Watto cares about revenge. I think Watto no. just cares about m- only money. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he forgot neutral. about that. <laughs> I've got to go. I've got to do my my <laughs> Moidian and my Twitterian yeah. in this episode. <laughs> do you want to throw in a Jar Jar for to complete the trilogy? <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, he was of, asleep in my minute and asleep in my heart. <laughs> speaking of Jar Jar, Um Nine weighs in. Mm. We have just we know there are underwater villages, and we're no, going to track them. To, rumors. That's the weird thing about the. That's the weird thing about the statement is that like yeah. ru- like. How are there only rumors around the co- water cooler? <laughs> we were discussing. Yeah, how? Who is giving rumors to the? Uh, I guess maybe there's informants and stuff. Right, but like the collaborators. Ru- I don't understand how if you're a Theed citizen, yeah, you either know that there are Gungans or you don't. Like I'm not sure how they're. You know, the Gungans were there before the Nabonians got there. Yeah. And Padme does not seem surprised to see a Gungan as though, like, oh, you know, it's like if you met Bigfoot. Like, oh, I heard rumors about you, but I didn't <laughs> You're know You're a you Bigfoot, were. aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe because she's the queen, she kind of gets the full... Maybe it's like, you know how when Obama became president, the Department of Science or whatever said, okay, first thing you got to know, Mr. President, is that there are aliens. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we are in touch with aliens. This is only need-to-know stuff. Maybe the average citizen doesn't know anything about these frog people living under the lakes. I mean, there mm-hmm. is no Department of Science. So let's just say it was the Department of Agriculture. Well, as far as you know, there's no Department of Science. Again, right, yeah. I think I this, would know. The Department of Ag- Agriculture steps out, and they're like, oh, this is the Department of Science. Their secret. He's going to tell <laughs> you about the Department the of Real Science. Right. I mean, there's a National <laughs> Science Foundation, the NS. SF, I'm beholden mm-hmm. to them for money to do my job. But that sounds like more liberal do goodism. <laughs> we want people who are, have aliens locked up in their in their. We want Area 51 stuff. <laughs> so here's my take on the rumors about the uh, the Gungans yes. that uh, they they don't. I think the the common people do know about them, but they're oh. not telling the they're not telling Newton the boys <laughs> about it. Right. So, because of that, they're, they storm into feed, and they're like, "Oh, is anybody else? You know, like what? What else? Well, you know, who else can we take over?" And everybody's like, "Oh." Except, that, I mean, then if, some people if, are just kind of like, "Hey, you know, there really are other people." Legend has it. Well, and here's who I'm going to blame. Here's who I think is the is the turncoat is uh, Rethel Minow, Nathan Hamill's character. I think he flipped. 
You think he flipped? I think he flipped and sold out the the Gungans. Oh boy, we got to get yeah, him back on. <laughs> think about think about the the if the whole subplot here that we're not seeing is that there's tension between the Naboo and the Gungans, then you would think if you got invaded, and you could easily sell out your enemies to also get invaded, why would you be coy? Like, wouldn't you just say, yeah, no, you just go through the planet core, and then there's this big city, and you get to capture a whole other civilization. So you think well, CO should have... You think Governor Bibble... Governor of Naboo, by the way. Okay. Uh, you think Governor Bibble should have said, oh, well, by the way, as long as you're invading us, there's a bunch of delicious frogmen who live down <laughs> under the in the water. I, I'm not sure how much CO Bibble really knows what's going on. Like, I don't really trust his proclamations of death counts and camps like it just you know we see no evidence to support a lot of his claims well, about no, what's that's, actually happening he's under duress he's being told to say that stuff because so we even get that in this minute we get the kind of i know i was, I was, yeah. I was working us there i disagree uh, because in this scene oh because in this scene he says the, to see your people Yo, are pe- starving your people are starving but you think Sio would know unless you think he's just locked away in some isolated room where he doesn't really know what's going no, on he knows what's going on but then the the message that gets to the queen is that the death yeah. toll is catastrophic everybody's being slaughtered they're not they're just you know they're they're his people are starving and they're not you know so I mean, he's being given a lot of autonomy because he's not in he's not in shackles he still gets to wear his gubernatorial robes which is yeah. what i assume his outfit is um he's clearly still getting you know his beard trimmed regularly <laughs> well that's a question also now is how long have they been how long has this been going on it's always an eternal star wars question how much time has elapsed right. since the jedi were on the uh station a i week? mean i think I think the default answer is we're never quite clear how much time they're in hyperspace, right? Like, what what are the temporal effects of going through hyperspace? Because if we assume the hyperspace travel is nearly instantaneous, then they escaped Naboo, went to Tatooine, and spent like three days, four days. But they didn't. Four- they they didn't have the hyperdrive then. They they drove in uh, in cruising speed from. Oh, you're right. Right. That's the whole oh, reason then, they went to Tatooine was to get. Then Co Bibble and everyone he knows or loves should be dead. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, laughs> take way too long. Stars aren't that close together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This there is, you go. I mean, this is some Matthew McConaughey interstellar stuff. Like <laughs> right. Padme should not have received one message. She should have received the the Matthew McConaughey growing up. You know, Co Bibble gets older and older, and he and and Padme cries like Matthew McConaughey does. Maybe that's Co Bibble's son by that point. Right. <laughs> He's taken over the role of uh, Co Bibble Junior. Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> Junior. Well, it is weird that the 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 Um Nine we're gonna go find those rumored fish people never actually even pays off. We never see the robots going to. No, but we do see the the Gungans on the run. Yeah, but the Gungans come to eventually come to the robots and meet them on the field of battle, not even in the water. But first they go into hiding, and then Jar Jar goes and says, hey, it's all abandoned. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they're in the secret city. That'll come up Because I, I, I know the droids were made to look particular. Like, you, you guys talked about this on the show, how they're designed to not look like a human could be inside them. Right. Which also has the effect of making them look like they would not do very well in water. Right. Yes, this is correct. And so if the Gungans fought them in water, which I would presume the Gungans are capable of doing, they probably would have done even better. Unless the they also have water-specific battle droids hmm. that we have that we don't haven't seen because I right. mean in 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 Revenge of the Sith we do see that they have some kind of droids that can go underwater. 
We do. Yeah, when uh-huh. they're on the Wookiee planet, you see, you see sh- when they're lay and they're anyway. We'll save it for. We'll when. get there. Yeah, we'll save it for. That. I'm picturing it's kind of like ants or something where they just poured the a whole bunch of of battle droids in until it made a pile big enough that they could then walk up that pile into the Naboo oh, city. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, this robot Um Nine has some kind. Of, I just picked it up. This has a vaguely British accent. Hmm. He says rumored. They're rumored. And the way he says it sounds. You sure British. it's British? And sounds like, like your Obi Wan. Queens. Yeah, <laughs> the rumored uh, city is underwater there. We're going to go check it out. I don't know. But he also says swamps, and it sounds Swamp? British. No, he says it like. <laughs> that's the Kirshner accent. No, he <laughs> says like sw- swamps. He say, if you listen very closely, he sounds either British or Australian. It's rumors of uh, cities in the swamp. Uh, the swamp. Uh, and also, so Padme watches that clip of Co Bibble again, mm-hmm. and is that the, all that exists of that clip? Is just that the people you must contact us, right? Because it seems like it ends at the same point both times. I guess so. it's also you know I I mean Qui Gon has a portable communication device. It can't clearly transmit its own hologram, but we do see devices, handheld devices, capable of transmitting their own holograms. Mm-hmm. But does Padme have to come to the ship for her voicemail? Because I already don't check my voicemail, and I have it with me <laughs> all the time. It seems like maybe she viewed it and saved that part for later. That's what I'm assuming. Right. She's already seen it and then saved that clip for a replay. To maybe like, her, Wait, what was, I, what was I deliberating over? Oh, right. Yeah, the death toll is <laughs> catastrophic. Oh, yeah. Mark is unread. Right. <laughs> I'll come back to that one. So um, I know you guys have talked a lot about uh, Natalie Portman's performance yes. as, as Padme. I, I'll just go on the record because I was in eighth grade when this came out. Mm-hmm. And so I had the biggest crush on her as Padme. Mm-hmm. Like, I was right there with Jake Lloyd being like, yep, all about you. You're super cute, and I'm into it. This just illustrates that it would have been better to have Anakin as a eighth grader instead of a <laughs> third grader. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so anything else for Minute 79? Any guys? This, uh, no. Speak That's now or forever hold your peace? Pretty much all I had. Uh, He's helped. So you said you were in eighth grade, uh, Ryan, when you saw it. Do you, how many times did you wind up seeing it? Yeah, so I think I've actually talked about this on the show before, but a super quick recap is that uh, a girl in my class liked me. I was not that into her, but she had tickets, and so she invited me to go see Phantom Menace with her, and so I went to the theater with her, even though I had no intention of pursuing her interest. Oh, man, that's a, that's a horrible mm. story. <laughs> but I wanted to see Star Wars. And, like, my biggest fear going into the theater, and I, like, vividly, I the probably the most vivid memory I have is her mom driving us to the theater together in her minivan. And my biggest fear going into the theater, because, you know, you're an eighth grader, and so, like, the, the terms of engagement are pretty limited. There's, you know, hand-holding, arm around, and then maybe kissing. And so I was willing to do the first two, but I didn't want to be, I didn't want her to like want to kiss because I wanted to just be able to watch the movie. Oh, Mm, you must have been quite a player back then. If you're like, so bad, make out with a girl, forget about it. I'd rather, uh, I'd rather watch Jar Jar run around and scream. Well, this is the first, (laughs) I didn't know it was a bad movie. I had to, I had to sit through it for the first time. Wow. So, uh, and then I probably saw it once or twice more in the theaters after that. And I don't remember really getting excited to like wait in line and and I was still excited by the time episode two came out. So I clearly didn't recognize that episode one maybe isn't the best movie. Hope until Springs Eternal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't remember hearing that story before, but I'm delighted you told it. <laughs> and then I did not see it when it came out in 3D. But the interesting thing is 
uh, I happened to be home in West Virginia for the holidays for Christmas this past year when Force Awakens was out and my parents hadn't seen Force Awakens yet. And my mom is the person who really introduced me to Star Wars. Like, she's the one who put in the VHSs and was like, here, watch these. You'll probably like them. And I'm like, yeah, these are great. Um, so she wanted to go see Force Awakens and, you know, she wanted me to come and she knew that I had already seen it. And she's like, well, do you want to go again? And I was like, yes, of course I'll go again. So I actually got to see Force Awakens in the same theater that I saw Phantom Menace in. Hmm. I was really hoping that story was going to end with you going to see Phantom Menace with that now <laughs> middle-aged woman. And, and then no, you I, finally I, made out with her after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my wife, who I married on Endor, as we've discussed previously, would have appreciated <laughs> that ending. I think she would have understood. Right. Just like, hey, it's Star you, Wars. You had, a, you had a debt you had to pay off. <laughs> debt mark's not an easy thing to live with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us uh, here on All Star Week, Ryan. And uh, what's uh, you want to give a last shout out to your solo projects? Uh, yeah, I do a podcast called Science. Sort of, we talk about science. We have drinks. It's lots of fun. I also want to point out because I don't think did I don't know if Flanagan when he was on early in this series promoted the fact that the iFanboy guys did an episode on the Phantom Menace when it came out in 3D, and oh. it's. It's great. It's a really fun episode. Hmm. Um, I'm, I didn't re-listen to it in, a, in anticipation of this minute because I didn't want to spoil myself, but I'm going to go and re-listen to it now that I've done my minute. Huh. All right. Did everyone check the iFanboy archives? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, Ron will be on tomorrow, so we'll, well, yeah. maybe we'll ask him about it. Yeah, that's perfect. All right, everyone. So, uh, well, thanks, Ryan, for joining us. And uh, thank you, listeners, for listening to us. Um, if you want to listen to us some more, we do a bonus episode every single week. All you have to do is become a Patreon subscriber at the Alliance level or higher. Go to StarWarsMinute.com slash Patreon for more information about that. Uh, also, go to Facebook. Become a member of the Star Wars Minute Listener Society. It's free. And while you're on the Internet, why not go to at Star Wars Minute on Twitter? That's us. You can hear everything we have to say about Star Wars. I follow them. Ryan follows us. Are you cooler than Ryan? I don't think <laughs> probably. so. No, oh. probably not. Did you have some girl want to make out with you at the movie premiere? <laughs> no. <laughs> Everyone will be back tomorrow with another Star Wars Star Minute. Wars Star Wars Minute. Minute.